Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition, a delicious range of sumptuously smooth dark chocolate. listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan. In today's podcast, we're bringing you part one of our True Blood series, where we go deep into the topic of periods, asking why it is we find them so hard to talk about. Did you know that, on average, people who experience periods will have 507 of the buggers from the age of 12 to 51? That's 39 years worth of bleeding, folks. In Ireland, sanitary products can cost from two to six euro per pack. Most people will have 13 periods a year and that will cost an estimated 8,100 euro over a lifetime. So as you can see, periods are a very run-of-the-mill, totally normal part of a healthy life. Why then do we find them so bloody hard to talk about? Today we go deep on periods, discussing things like our first periods, period poverty and how we can all help to end the stigma around this monthly visitor, ant flow, the crimson wave, shark week, or whatever you're having yourself. Joining me to do that will be Claire Hunt, founder of Homeless Period Ireland, Niamh Don, a period activist and youth ambassador with Plan International Ireland, and Labour councillor Deirdre Kingston, who has campaigned on making sanitary products free in council buildings. But first, Roisin Ingle is here for a chat. Roisin! It's a miraculous day (laughs) and a miraculous recovery. I know. What happened? Well, um, we're going to be talking about an interview that I did in London this week and I was finishing writing that, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, in a coffee shop, the lovely uh, Alliance Francaise, which is on Kildare. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. It's lovely though. I'd never been in it before, funnily enough. It's Shea Max. It's on the corner of Nassau Street in Dublin and uh, Kildare Street. So I'd wandered in there with my laptop just to have a little coffee and finish off some work. Um, so I was in my own little world and I had my myself sitting there and beside me I had one of those bags for life, those very eco-friendly bags for life from Dollard & Co actually. And it had all my worldly goods in it. Like very a tr- fancy shopper you I, are. Well, that's just occasionally. <laughs> when I'm going to someone's house for a dinner party I tend to pop in there for vittles, fancy vittles. Um, so I had my charger, that I, new charger I'd bought, my earphones, my purse, my brand new makeup. I liked my makeup as well. It was all in there in this bag. So I was sitting doing my work and when I finished, I went to charge my phone. So I went to reach for this bag and there it was gone, Cathy. And when I was sitting there going, what the hell is happening? You know when you feel like you're on a candid camera? Like I didn't have any sense there was someone around or that, you know, this was a kind of place where you'd have to really watch your stuff or anything like that. The staff in in the cafe were really nice, but it's just that horrible sinking feeling when you realise, you know, got to now cancel your cards um, and all that sort of stuff and you're trying to remember what's in the bag and all the little things of sentimental things as well that, you, that I had. full of self-loathing as well. Full of self-loathing because happen. why did I leave it over there yes. and why did I put my purse into the bag when I should have put it back in my handbag which was securely around me and wouldn't have been robbed. So a lot of that self-loathing going on. And then, of course, I took to the Twitter because... Uh, <laughs> 
that's what you do, isn't it, these days? It is. When something bad happens. And also, it's nice, you know, when you do say something terrible that's happened to you on Twitter, there's a lovely wave of kind of, you know, oh, God, that's awful, or that happened to me. And you kind of don't feel so awful anymore. But you came back twice to say the first time the bag was gone, then you mentioned the coat was gone. I felt really, I said, what is going on with that woman, to be honest with you? I know, it sounded like it was my fault, didn't it? It did. And then, uh, thanks a lot, Cathy. (laughs) But but then when I realised that the coat, because I went to go then after exhausting all possibilities, they searched everywhere. So I said, oh, I better get my coat and go. And then I realised, no coat. <laughs> so it was kind of like Began to comedy deliberate. of horrors. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, off I went and that was grand. I had to borrow some money off somebody to get myself home and things like that. But it was fine. I was really, you know, I went home, I was trying to listen to my Brexit stuff on my little Bluetooth earphones last night, but of course I didn't have them. And I just was trying to do that Zen thing of letting things go, you know, let it go. Nobody's hurt. I still had my phone. If I didn't have my phone now, I'd be really in trauma. So I just was trying to let it go. But I came into work this morning, Cathy. There was a little email from our security team, lovely John. He said that a woman called Aoife had rang about a bag. I was like, what the hell? So I ring this Aoife person. I say, hello, um, my name's Roisin. And she just sounded so mortified. So what had happened was she was there, probably sitting beside me. There was some people there with some children. And she had this friend who's trying to help her out with her gathering all her stuff. And they gathered up my stuff not knowing it wasn't theirs. And she opened her car boot this morning and found this bag and opened it up and found my name and went, oh my God, what am I doing with all this stuff? And then she said, I'm so sorry, but she said, here's my address. And I got it picked up and now I have all my stuff back. And she said, you're wearing the coat, I think, aren't you? No, it's a different coat because I didn't have another one. And in the bag was a bottle of wine and a lovely, sorry, I'm very sorry for your troubles uh, card. That is a proper happy ending. I know. So I just thought, tell everyone, because, you know, we all go around losing things or having things missing and it doesn't often end in a good way, but that just was a happy ending. Also, I think only lovely people go into Allianz. Well, that's what I was thinking. You see, you know what I said to my mum last night? I said, this doesn't feel like a crime to me. This feels like somebody took my bag by mistake, but I just don't know who they are. And that was the way it turned out. Well, this is... A red letter day. Yeah. But you've also had a fantastic week generally. You got to interview somebody who is genuinely a hero of mine. Yes. And that's Gina Miller. I went to London and it was very, it was a great pleasure and privilege to meet her actually. Obviously for anyone who doesn't know, but I'm sure everyone does know that she's involved in these two very high profile cases where she took the UK government to court once to um, to make sure that Article 50 was uh, debated rather than just triggered. And then also more recently, the end of September, that lovely verdict that Lady Hale gave in the Supreme Court with her spider brooch, which said that Boris Johnson's government had been unlawful to uh, prorogue Parliament, to suspend the Parliament. And this was because of Gina Miller, this businesswoman who had just, she's just such a woman of such integrity and um, she just didn't want to see the rule of law and democracy be flouted. So she used her own money. She simply wanted wanted Parliament to be, to to have the primary role with Parliament to be sovereign which is what all the Brexiters voted for. But unfortunately, um, as these things go, and we know how toxic things are in Britain at the moment, since she took those cases, the first one was in 2017, she has received the vilest, most awful abuse, uh, racist abuse, because she's originally from Ghana, even though she's um, pretty much uh, raised here, uh, you know, brought up here in school and since she was uh, 10 years old. Uh, so she's had racist abuse, misogynistic abuse. I mean, she's had the most horrible things said to her um, about her, called her children have been called mongrel children. She's had death threats. You know, she, she has to have all the security on her home. And yet she still stood firm in front of all of this stuff so she's just 
one of those incredible people. Yeah, and she's she's a she's a wealthy woman at this stage. Very wealthy. And Roshan, yeah. she could have she could have simply just turned turned her heel and gone to live in a villa in the south of France. And this is what I admire. So apart from the work she's done and using the law to its nth degree, she stood in the, she stood and faced those people. Yeah. So I've written a piece and it's going to be in the weekend section on Saturday so people can read about it. But she's a very interesting woman. I can't wait to get your view of her. What did you think of her? I, I thought she was, I mean, do you know what? She was warmer than I thought because um, there's a certain aloofness that comes across. She can look a bit chilly. When she's actually, standing screen, at, yeah. um, at the court steps, you know, or when she's on one of those news programmes in, in, on the BBC or Channel 4. But she was very um, honest about that, saying that she kind of cultivated that persona a little bit because it's such a serious matter. And she was, you know, almost for her nerves and she didn't want to fall apart. So she, to do, in order to combat that, she would just be very, very serious. But she did have a few media trainers uh, coming to her saying, do you want some help with the warmth problem that you have? And she said, no, it's OK, I'll just be me. And, you know, her family know who she is and what she's like. But she's actually very personable, very generous with her time, um, you know, full of fun. Um, and one thing I found interesting was that she loves dancing. So uh, as a little antidote to the to the furore over that uh, latest judgment, she went off to Ibiza and did a lot of dancing till uh, early, the early hours of the morning, which is not something I would have thought of her. So no. it's great. That is actually yeah. one. I really, really look forward to reading that. But I won't that. say anymore because there's a lot more in it. But she's she's just a really amazing person. And she just gives you hope that in the midst of all this, there are people like her willing to, at great personal cost, to stand up for what's right. Well, whatever way you think about Brexit, that's not what she was about. She she knew that people had voted to leave, even though she'd been campaigning to to remain. But she was saying this should not be done um, unlawfully. This should be done in the right way. And she was standing her ground. So I think she's important. All right. Well, Roshan, I look forward very much to reading that. I recommend it to everybody. Gina Miller, if you don't know anything about her, you should read this piece and learn about her because she is actually going to be one of our great role models in the in the wake of Brexit. And I should also say that she's actually coming to Ireland. Uh, she's coming to the Gloss Look the Business event on November 7th. Now it's booked out. It's in association with Vodafone, but it will be a very uh, great event for anyone who's there because she's giving a keynote address to that gathering of women. Great catch for the Gloss. And Cathy, just before we go, we have to say a big goodbye and thank you to someone who's leaving our team. And that is our brilliant co-producer, Jennifer Ryan. She's going off to have a little baby on her maternity leave. And I can't say she doesn't look sad about it now. <laughs> She's looking a bit too happy She's for my life. You're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> laughing. But, you know, this podcast would not happen without Jennifer. And she is absolutely key to everything we do and the creativity and originality and the organisation and efficiency and all that she brings to the podcast. Also, so I just want to say thank the, you very much. The, the on, on air work she's done herself. I mean, she is a woman of many, many talents. Um, I will miss her terribly and so will you. I actually don't know what we're going to do I without know. her. We don't, we haven't no. even been able to think about it yet. No, we haven't had this chat it's and this we need to have it very soon. <laughs> we, need to, we need to have an Excel spreadsheet, Roshi. <laughs> we do. Anyway, I think she's been very selfish going off and making another human being in the world. But, you know. Well, she's going we to make us make a lot of mistakes and we're going to have to remind her regularly. Yeah. Anyway. I just hope she comes back. Well, I'm assuming she's We're talking about her back. as if she's not in the room, Cathy. I love this. No, she's laughing. She's the <laughs> happiest woman alive at the moment. She will absolutely come back because we're going to sort of drag her back in by the hair if we have to. Yeah. Anyway, we will miss her terribly. Yeah. Jenny, so, the very best of luck. Thank you, Jennifer. Eight and three quarter months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> and looking extremely happy. So see you next week, Roisin. Yes, but not uh, Jenny. But not Jenny. <laughs> so cheers, Jenny. <laughs> 
The Irish Times Women's Podcast is brought to you by Green and Black's Velvet Edition. Sumptuously smooth, dark chocolate. Now, I don't need to tell all of you that a period is a natural bodily function and a sign of good health that more than half of the world's population must endure. Maybe not enjoy, but endure. I also probably don't need to tell you that as women, we are conditioned to feel bloody shame when it comes to periods. To join me to figure out why that is and how we can rectify the situation, I was joined recently in studio by three women doing great things to help end the stigma around periods. Claire Hunt, founder of Homeless Period Ireland, Neve Dunn, a period activist and youth ambassador with Plan International Ireland, and Labour councillor Deirdre Kingston. I began by asking them to talk about their first periods. Right, what we'll start with is everyone's period stories, because God knows there aren't enough of them. And the funny thing is that everybody has one. So Claire, can we start with you? Well, I actually got my first period when I was 10, which is very young. Um, My mum had actually got her period at 11, and it turns out my grandmother and all kind of on my maternal side had been early starters, if you like. Um, but that said, when I was 10, I was a very petite 10-year-old, was very thin and not something I suppose that my mum expected. So I went to the toilet and there it was and I didn't know what it was. <laughs> but I wasn't frightened and I wasn't scared and my mum reassured me. Um, but one thing that sort of sticks with me about it is that I had to wear one of my mum's massive stay-free pads, you know, and that's kind of stuck with me a bit. But yeah, and I didn't get regular periods when I was 10, but from 11 I had regular periods, yeah. So you're one of the rare ones, Claire, who didn't actually get a terrible fright didn't actually and get go a into a fit of despond and yeah. think you were dying. No, and I think maybe, and actually I had this conversation with my mum a few days ago, I think she kind of did the whole thing of, you know, other girls your age mightn't have one, but this means you're you're heading towards womanhood now. And I just found this really exciting. Not that I had probably had a clue what was going on, um, but yeah, it wasn't there wasn't anything scary about it or alarming about it. And I don't know. Um, I kind of feel I hope that it'll be the same for my girls. I mean, I have a nine year old, um, so I don't know. Will she start young as well? And I kind of guess that obviously because of what I do, there's a lot of pads and stuff like that around our house. <laughs> Um, they're very um, exposed, shall we say. So kind of, I think, yeah, maybe kind of that'll kind of lessen lessen the fear, I suppose. Deirdre. <laughs> yeah. When did yours start? I was 12. It was the summer before I went into first year. And I was in County Clare from West Cork originally. So I was a far, far, far away from home. And my neighbour had ponies and she used to go out show jumping. And I went along on the trip one day. Um, it was up in Kildysart, I'll never forget, in County Clare. And there was no toilets at this gymkhana. So I was. I had to go to the toilet at the side of the field. And then I saw my period. Like Clare, didn't know really know what it was. Kind of had an idea. Did you have an idea? I had an idea. I kind of thought, OK, my knickers is looking a bit odd there. Um, I wonder what that is. Of course, said nothing to my friend or to her mum or anything like that. Kept to myself um, and drove all the way back from County Clare in the back of a jeep. And uh, again, was kind of thinking about it, said nothing. And I texted my friend this morning, actually, and I was like, I said, I was like, because I was like, can you remember where we were in County Clare? And uh, I said, I got my period that day. And she said, no way. She said, you should have told me. And I was like, I know, I know. But anyway, I came home 
And I walked into the kitchen and I said to my mum, I think I'm after getting my period. My mum got so emotional. I'll never forget her. She gave me a big hug and told me that was amazing news and ran a bath for me and uh, just looked after me for the night and had an array of pads then that I could choose from. Um, So it was, I think I was a bit confused when I saw it, but generally it was was positive because my mum was just great, you know. Well, so far, really that's made two out of two who, made, who yeah. were made to feel loved yes. and 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 admired and all the rest. Niamh, tell me a terrible story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually was quite terrified. I won't lie, because I was. I remember I just had done a maths test. I was in fifth class at the time, so I was just about to turn twelve. And I obviously my mom had talked to me about it, but we never went into huge detail about it. So I. Was I was genuinely a bit scared and anxious at first, so I pretended I was sick and I told my teacher I had a tummy bug, so I went home and my mom came and collected me. But then again, similar to Claire and Deirdre, she was she was like, no, don't worry. She's like, this is a good thing. Like, it's fine. Don't be worrying. And thank God my mom was there to comfort me because I, I was one of the older kids in uh, my class. So as well, I didn't really feel comfortable talking to any of um, my uh, my female classmates about it because again we were all 10, uh, 10 11 uh, so, um, so I thought just keep this to myself but I was lucky enough to have it to my uh, that I had my mum as well but um, yeah no it was slightly terrifying but again I think thank God my mum was there to kind of ease the uh, anxiety I had at, um, towards it so Claire, what's odd about this conversation so far, can I say, is that nobody's expressing shame yeah. or went around in total silence for nine months and refused to speak about it. Yeah, and maybe we're three of the lucky ones because unfortunately there is still that shame. I mean, there mightn't be, I mean, there's still, I mean, I'm sure everyone or someone in this room um, has shoved a tampon up their sleeves or, you know, kind of quietly gone, has anyone got a pad or a tampon? So there's that element, I think, of shame. But I think it depends, doesn't it, on on how you've been been told about it at home or how your relationship might be at home, that that kind of eliminates some of that shame, so to speak. But um, I think around periods, I mean, I hate to say the last taboo, I hate that expression, but it kind of is one of one of the last ones. It it is, and Niamh, you actually talked about your period in front of an Oireachtas committee. Yeah, um, we both did. We both did. <laughs> myself and Claire did. Um, I think for myself, again, just what Claire said, I was lucky enough to come. Um, now it wasn't talk- discussed with with my with my dad until actually I started working on the We Need to Talk Period campaign with um, the Youth Advisory Panel in Plan International Ireland. But I was very comfortable and open talking about it with with my mom and my uh, younger sister as well when she started getting her period. And even uh, with my friends as we grew up through secondary school and even through college, it was just something that we talked about um, quite openly. Um, And then I think... Now, sorry to stop you, Nee, would you have talked to boys about it? No. That, that, I don't think that's where the what Claire was saying that's where the shame and the embarrassment comes in and there's actually times even now I'm a 22 year old woman uh, if I'm going to uh, going to the bathroom and work I will uh, discreetly hide a tampon mm-hmm. or a pad uh, you don't want I don't want um, my male colleagues to see any of this just because it's still unfortunately a, a taboo subject especially um, among uh, my male colleagues and friends but um, I think as well it was a very um, in the uh, the women's uh, Oireachtas uh, caucus. It was a very, um, I felt it was a very safe and uh, open environment. Um, yeah, it, was, it was very relaxed. It was um, very you relaxed. Know, everyone, was, everyone on the panel was so supportive and 
you know, there was there was no reason to be no, embarrassed. Yeah. You know, tell us about the context for 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 that conversation with the, with the with the Iraq. This was it. You you obviously were had something in mind. You weren't just sitting there in there just to talk about your periods. Um, no, I think it was. Uh, to address why the uh, the motion was being brought forward as well. I think as well, myself and Anna Golden, who's also on the Youth Advisory Panel, we were talking about the statistics found in the from the survey that Plan International Ireland did. Um, and I think as well, it was important to get the severity of the, the statistics that one, uh, 50% of girls surveyed had issues with affordability, uh, further 55% uh, felt shame uh, talking about their periods. And then when it came to school and education, there was really kind of uh, terrifying results that 84% wouldn't talk to their teachers about it and then girls were missing school and then they felt the information that the uh, schools were providing them weren't helping them uh, when it came to finding out about their period. So as well uh, in the caucus at the t- uh, in the there was uh, secondary school students there and there was also people from the USI so in terms of like education it was I think it was important to get the point across that a lot of the issues uh, and the shame, come, like it needs to be dealt with at the education level. So what 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 is happening is that this subject has become has been becoming less taboo in a very short period of time. I think so. I mean, it, and, it feels you know, to me as though it's blown up. Actually, yeah. that suddenly it's gone from mm-hmm. utter silence to being talked about it quite openly. Yeah, and I think we were we were just having a conversation about that um, before we started, and I think it a lot of it is is to do with the work that Plan International has done. I think that survey really, you know, it kind of catapulted the conversation. Um, and I think a lot of the work that Claire's Your Good Homeless Period Ireland as well, I mean, there's huge conversation about it um, online and that kind of thing. And that means then that people that are in politics like me, we can see that this is, you know, th- this is really something that is kind of igniting people's interest and in that kind of thing and that we, we're going to want to work and we're going to want to do a little bit more for it and getting involved in organisations um, like Homeless Period Ireland and Plan International and that kind of thing. Um, so def- I've definitely seen a massive shift in the last couple of years. There's been a lot more work as well done politically, I think at local authority level. Um, you're seeing more and more councillors coming forward looking to bring in um, free period products in public buildings. And then the, you had a lot of work from the Women's Caucus as well in the Oireachtas. Um, and at the start of the week, there was an announcement made that there will be a special committee set up to look at this as well. Um, so, I mean, there is some political action on it. I'd, I think you know, it would be great if there was just a decision made to to make these products free. I think it's a very simple decision. Is there, um, a, is there an acceptance of that? Is I think it, there is. I is mean, there? I mean, generally, like it, it's a conversation, I suppose, I, I've had with a lot of people because when I put forward the motion in the council last year, um, it was during our budget meeting. So I got €10,000 put aside just to run a pilot programme. Um, and generally, everybody in the council was was very supportive. I mean, to the point, actually, that everybody just agreed with it and nobody wanted to debate it, which I kind of thought was interesting in itself. <laughs> yes, because you could see people it. reading the text, the motion kind of going, oh, right, OK. Um, and a few snakers here and there and that kind of thing. So everybody just agreed it. and there, So there wasn't a debate on it, which I would have liked to have had. Um, so there is an acceptance that I think this is going to be 
I think, you know, when we, if we move forward, whatever, five, ten years, I would hope that this will be the norm in every single public toilet, which it should be because it's a basic necessity. Um, you know, it's it's just a, a hygienic necessity like toilet paper, soap or anything in public bathrooms. Um, and I think that's the way it should be. Yeah, because Claire, it isn't just about period poverty, which is an area we'll talk about in a minute. It is about that very fact that it's for over half the world's population. This is an essential. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely it is. And for some reason it's been put into the kind of luxury item um, bracket, I suppose, you know, that it's, it's seen as... Um, is it still taxed as a luxury no, item? No, that's one thing in Ireland. We don't have tax on um, pads or tampons, but there are there is a VAT on these organic menstrual cups, which are really expensive. They're like €30. Euro. Yeah, now they last a long time, but but that said that they are an expensive item. Um yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like what Deirdre said, I just think just they should just be available. Um, just something that shouldn't be given a second thought. And yeah, it is being dealt with slightly at a political level, but absolutely not enough. I mean, the caucus was fantastic, and then the committee being set up is great. I'm presenting to them next week, actually. But um, other than that, there's been there's been silence. And like that, I just think it's something that it's, you know, it's it's Scotland are managing to do it for five million. I know we've just had a really tough budget and, you know, it might not be seen as a priority, but I think it's something that that's very fixable and that would make life, you know, really help women and young girls. Neve, did your survey uh, encompass the whole cost of periods? Apart from period poverty, did you get actual hard figures as to what it costs? to have a period every month for um, 30 years or we did look at the cost um, I w- wouldn't be entirely sure of it now but from the survey we found that 50% of girls had issues with affordability and for me I just couldn't believe that figure 50% of the girls surveyed like because we live in what is deemed a developed country that's like quite can be quite progressive and the fact that girls are having issues with affordability and then it just in terms of like the international point that may have made us as a plan at the, the youth advisory panel think of girls then not only in Ireland but girls in developing countries who are who are in uh, poverty stricken areas the issues that they must have with affordability and that girls then are having to use and then uh, rags or socks or whatever they can get their hands on just to st- uh, to p- put a barrier for the bleeding and prevents some even going to school exactly as well um, and, and sorry to interrupt on that no, but that actually happens here yeah. Um, I've had calls from women thanking me, which I actually I don't like getting the thank yous because I actually find them really upsetting. Um, I have got thank yous from from women who were using um, cut up fabric, uh, bits of cloth in our country in 2019. Yes, because I did get messages this year um, that were cutting them. You see, Claire, that's why that's actually why I'm coming back to trying to find the cost mm. of a period. Because yeah. do you remember, was it last year, uh, an MP in Westminster yes. talked about the cost of a period and yeah. she put it down at £22 um, yeah, for a and single I mean, period. I think kind and of, people were extremely sceptical about that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not. And maybe I'm just putting it back to my own flow. Sorry, I've no filter. <laughs> Um, no, but, we're, we're going to have no filter you know, here at I all. You know, I think as yeah. well, like I would get a lot of trolling from time to time. Oh, you can get them in deals for one fifty. Yeah, you can. But I know me personally, um, 
I would suffer from heavy periods and I might use two boxes of tampons and two packets of pads a month plus my Norofen, plus my chocolate, plus whatever else I want to go with it. That that woman MP said the cost of having to go maybe and buy a clean pair of knickers and a new pair of trousers during your working day. I I actually don't think it's nearly fair to put a price on it because we're all individual. All of our periods are individual or, you know, you could have someone who's suffering from polycystic ovaries as I do or you could have someone who's got endometriosis, with regular bleeding um, so yeah it's very I, I think it's kind of hard to put an actual figure on on and you know see Tierta when 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 um when Claire mentions endometriosis and those problems that are they're, they're normal periods they're not normal periods but they are part of that whole syndrome which is endometriosis I had no idea how terrible oh, that was up to the point we had a podcast about it yeah, about a year it's, ago it's absolutely horrific and I yeah. think one of the awful side effects of this last taboo about mm-hmm. periods is that endometriosis has remained people suffer silently from it yes mm-hmm. um, was that has that does that come up in conversation um, it's not something now that I would have had a conversation about or not something that it would have come up I suppose say when if we were discussing it politically it's it's more about the provision of products and that kind of thing and making sure that that women no matter what kind of experience they're having on a monthly basis that they feel supported and that nobody nobody is going to have to decide between getting and um, putting bread on the table or getting a pack of sanitary pads you know um, so it's not something that I'm hugely familiar with, I have to be honest, in terms of entry of material. I think you were on the last panel with me in Endo Ireland were there as well, yeah. one of your colleagues as well. And I mean, it's just shocking. And I kind of, I guess, kind of, I suppose, from the angle I'm coming coming from and the women who I'd be donating to, and like to think that maybe there's a woman in a refuge or a woman in a direct provision centre who is suffering in silence with this condition. It's just it's too you much. See, it's the silence. Yeah. yeah. A huge part of it is the silence. The three of you were very lucky to have mothers who simply embraced yeah. you and admired you when you got your periods. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to hide it. But at the same time, Neve, you say, you didn't talk about it outside of that, except right. with your female friends, maybe. Mm-hmm. And isn't that a huge part of the problem? I mean, when I think of all the euphemisms for periods mm-hmm. uh, and all the old myths associated with women who had their periods and the way they've been treated by the various different religions... Yeah. Again, this is kind of where I get frustrated because there is a lot of talk about period poverty and politicians getting involved saying they're going to, you know, make pads free. Yes, this is all great, but where this issue comes from, because, it, it, I mean, as I've said, it's, it's part of the greater issue of poverty, is the lack of education. And what we really need to focus on is an education p- plan for girls and also for boys and separate from sec- sex education, I think, Cathy, because as I've said, you know, I got my period at 10 um, at the advisory committee meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, um, you know, children from, or young girls from Africa start their, their periods at 8 or 9. So as our kind of, I suppose, our population gets more diverse, mm-hmm. we really need to factor that in. And I, I strongly believe that we need menstrual education at a young age separate from sex education so girls are preferred and also that boys are aware of what happens and what changes happen girls and I think that will really stand to us. So so much of what I've read about this in recent days refers to a, a class maybe held for girls where the boys get extra sports instead. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Is there any advance on that at all Neve? Is, 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 is no. that improving? I don't think that's I don't think that helps at all. Um, I have talked to you countless of girls who in their primary school, so it's usually around sixth or fifth class, it probably depends on the school, and they have the sex education talk and the boys are left to be brought back into the classroom or, as you said, go and do uh, extracurricular sports or, um, 
and then the girls are given the period talk. And I just, I completely agree with Claire. I think it needs to start with education. I just, the fact that I couldn't even feel comfortable to talk to my teacher about it. And um, I had f- um, primarily female teachers as well. Now, bear in mind, in fifth class, I did have a female teacher, but I couldn't feel comfortable to talk to her about it. And it's just, it's not dealt with properly in school. It is, I think the taboo, for me personally, I believe that the taboo and the stigma starts in school when that separation has happened. Uh, that separation happens and then that's it it's talked about for one uh, one class and that's it and that's not enough education and I agree if girls are getting it as young as 10 even younger you need to be educated on it earlier and then if you bring boys in it just completely de- um, destabilises uh, the stigma around it and it makes it more open because like, it's a normal bodily function like if I have an, uh, a menstrual cramp which I have suffered from from um from I've started getting my period and I have had to, if this comes into the affordability, I have had to get prescriptions from uh, my local GP for Ponston uh, because it's been that severe, which is another affordability issue that comes into it. But if I sh- need to go to a te- I should be able to go and talk to a teacher about this. If I have it, just as if I have a stomach bug or a headache because you can get pains like it and it should be dealt with it as open um, and as normal as that. But it's not. It's like, oh, can I talk to you outside? And you have to whisper it. And if you have a male teacher, some girls might not feel comfortable talking about that as well. Mm. So there needs to be far better education that the teachers are able to deal with it um, if a young female student comes and talks about it and that the students are educated, both boys and girls. Do you know what I'm, what I'm, what I'm trying to get to here in, in what someone called Generation Overshare? We still have this thing about periods where we're still... Even though the various little little apertures are being opened now about it, would you ever sit in front of mixed company and say, "I'm having my period"? I think I would now. I mean, would I, you? I wouldn't when I was younger. Um, mm. And and Neve is right. I mean, it is about that conversation being held with everybody and having that education at a young age, um, including everybody in it. I think you know separating boys out is just adding to the secrecy around it and it's basically saying to young girls well boys don't really need to know about this or they need, don't need to talk about this so you should continue hiding your period every month or your your pads or your tampax or whatever it is um so i think you know it's 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 still obviously an issue that people are are embarrassed about we can see that from the survey and that there's a feeling of shame about i mean you know, it's a it's a hangover from from how we have developed in this country. Um, I mean, it's it's no coincidence that our, our schools are ninety eight percent controlled um, by religious orders, and that's why it's not something that was talked about. You know, women's bodies are are seen as something that should be hidden and that we, you know, we really shouldn't talk about that much. We shouldn't be, you know, avert about our bodies at all. I, I would and I say, think it's this, this, this is a worldwide thing. I think yeah. certainly yeah, the no, major religions yeah, yeah. are absolutely culpable yeah. in yeah. a certain mm-hmm. way. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't think it's confined to religion, is it? No, I don't think so at all. I absolutely don't think so. And I mean, you even have to look, I don't know if any of you have seen the, the movie that was on Netflix, Period, End of Sentence. Very, oh, yes. very, very yeah. good. And at the time... Um, mm-hmm. One of the guys on the Oscar panel, mm-hmm. um, he said that, oh, this will never win because, you know, periods are icky and they're gross and they're disgusting and it won the Oscar. So if there is that kind of element. It's blood, isn't it? And, you know, it makes people a bit kind of, Ugh. so I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how many of you have read Emily Pine's um, yes. notes, yeah. notes to self. Do you yeah. remember her yeah. essay on, on, 
on blood, yeah. uh, which began with a, a, a little thing about um, male authors who believe you, you're you not writing unless you're bleeding onto the yeah. page. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And where she winds up talking about actually bleeding actually onto the page. Bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think, you know, people are breaking the taboo and everything, but I'm still sort of kind of delving into the reason for the shame. Yeah. Neve, what, what, what is the source of the shame? Why... Why is women's blood, such, which is such a sign of health and fertility and all the rest, why is that um, still a thing among men especially? Is it our fault? I would definitely not say it's our fault at all. <laughs> 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 um, well, if we weren't sneaking around the place with our little tampons and I everything, do, maybe. I would have to agree with what Deirdre says. Um, I think it goes back to like my my mum and my, aunt, my aunts. Uh, they obviously all grew um, they said when I started talking about it, they were shocked because they're. Uh, and I'm not going to give away their age. I don't think they'd like that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> they were all shocked that this is finally talking about. It. I do think it comes back to when the Catholic Church. This is now for only the Irish context. Um, I, I would uh, have to say, I think the Catholic Church had such a huge grip on Irish education. Uh, I mean, the fact that getting tampons and um, legalized in Ireland was such a big issue to begin mm. with. I think when you look at that, it's, it's kind of stems from that and trying to um, lessen the grip of the Catholic Church on Irish education um, is has wh- why is sex education in Ireland and why period education has not still not come to the forefront um, of the of Irish primary education and Irish secondary education because I believe in I do think it's where education stems from because it the problem does stem from education because if it's not being talked about open and honestly um, in schools, then you can't talk about it at home. You can't talk about it with your friends open and honestly unless you are lucky enough um, to have a, uh, an environment at home in which you can. Now, I have to say, my my dad has, since doing this campaign, he would have never talked about it um, because that's what he grew up in, to never talk about it. Even um, with his sister and his mother, it was just something they never talked about. And then, but now he... he has no, he doesn't have as much of an issue. He's completely uh, become more open to it because I think he understand. He did. He didn't realize the shame and uh, the embarrassment myself and my sister and my mom uh, obviously felt, and then the cost as well. Um, the fact all of these um, factors contribute to the shame and the stigma around it. So I think as well, if you, you educate people, so my dad was educated on the issue and now he is more open to talking about it. And if I just happen to um, flippantly say in conversation at home, oh God, like I have such a bad cramp, it's really killing me. He'd be like, oh, are you okay? Do you want like, uh, do, you need to, do you need me to get uh, you anything? Where beforehand it could have not been talked about. So I do think if we educate people on it, then it'll become more open and honest and people, the shame and embarrassment will slowly start to disintegrate, hopefully. Isn't it kind of mad that we're still talking like this at all? Yeah. That we're still not able to mm-hmm. say, I just need to lie down for half an hour and yeah. I'll be fine then. Yeah, or like, I just um, need to take a pill. Emma Barnett, um, who wrote the book recently, It's About Bloody Time, said that mm-hmm. women will, are more kind of, might come out and say, I've got diarrhea over saying they've got really bad period cramps. That's right. You know? That's right. <laughs> yes, we'll be interviewing Emma yeah. uh, about her wonderful book, Brilliant. which is full of anecdotes yeah. and, and uh, about shame and horror and all the rest and about the need to say out loud what it's all about. But Claire, talking about period poverty, I mean, and what can be done to help. So the first thing, obviously, is to talk about this openly, honestly, to bring in all the genders, yeah, uh, to have this become a part of everyday life in conversation mm-hmm. uh, where we can say, oh, 
a fellow will go to the shop and get a pack of tampons. And I'm sure a lot of them do now, yeah. if you ask them. Yeah. But nonetheless, it's still, a socially, it's mm-hmm. still a kind of a taboo. But in terms of what we can, apart from making it open and public and normal, uh, what can we do now to tackle pe- period poverty? At the moment, I suppose what I'm doing is just keeping momentum up. Um, I'd kind of hoped that, I suppose a little bit of me hoped that something might be provided for in this year's budget, but sadly it wasn't. Um, so I'm going to keep going with what I'm doing. I didn't look for anything. Nothing was submitted. Um, but it could be done. I mean, it's not a big spend. It could certainly be done with, un, for five million or certainly maybe under. Um, but is, 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 is there, is there a, Deirdre, is there a little bit of a hesitation here on the basis that if you put a pile of sanitary products in a public lavatory, that they'll be stolen or something. That's what gets said to me a lot and it yeah, drives me nuts. Yeah, um, I had that exact conversation yeah. as well when um, we got the motion passed at the council. Um, I had asked for a pilot project for six months in two public buildings to see, you know, how it would go, how much would it cost, that kind of thing. And um, I had a conversation with one of the librarians because I went to meet her to kind of try and keep a bit of momentum on it because it's really not a big deal. It's putting a basket of pads and Tampax in the toilet, you know, but you'd swear now that I was, I don't know what I was asking for. Anyway, I went to meet her and um, we had like a very honest conversation. I was kind of surprised that she wasn't very enthused about it because I thought it would be a great example in, in the area, you know. It was in um, a big library where a lot, lots of young girls come in um, um, from all parts of the county. And I just I thought it would be very positive. I thought it'd be great for, for the council as well to be getting behind this. But um, that was one of the things she said to me. Well, f- well first of all, she said it is, is personal hygiene, not, you know, e- every woman's own responsibility. And I said, well, if that's the case, we should all have a, you know, a roll of toilet paper in our bags and a little hand soap as well. But we're not expected to do that. So um, and the second was was would not would everybody not come in and um, steal all the products and that kind of thing. Again, I mean, you could look at toilet paper. I know, we, you know, everybody goes through college and takes an old roll of toilet paper <laughs> yeah. here and there yeah. when and you're so. in a student house. And so, <laughs> but yeah. you know, the world keeps going and it doesn't really break the bank. Um, and I think if if you look at the bigger picture and what you're trying to do and you're actually trying to help women and girls who mightn't be able to afford this on a monthly basis um, then it's always going to be worth that cost. Yeah. That question will always be asked though Claire, because oh, yeah. there is a, I don't know if you recall the, the point in Emma Barnett's book where she talks about the, some some um, NGO left a pile of sanitary products in a basket at the desk yeah. and they were taken by men who used them on the street yeah as leverage in exchange for sexual favours or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have to say that did take me aback. Um, So it's not something we can dismiss. No, it isn't. But I don't think it's a good enough excuse either, you know, not to provide them. And also I kind of get frustrated as well at the kind of notion um, of like starting up pilot schemes. Like that's, I think, feel that's kind of a disservice to women. Why is it a pilot? Who are we testing? You know, just do or don't. Um, so after the Women's Caucus um, on International Women's Day, um, I launched a scheme with South Dublin County Council with Mark Ward. And um, that's been hugely successful. And again, it's just basic. How it's does just, it work then? 
It's just simple. There's just, like I have in front of me here, just products left out openly in the in a bathroom, the same way they would be in a five-star hotel. In or a bathroom where? In all of the South Dublin County Council civic offices. Yeah, in Clondalkin and in Talla. And they haven't been swiped. And they haven't been swiped. It's been run, It's running really, really successfully. And then on the back of that, um, my daughters play football and they're very into sport and kind of got conscious because we'd go to a lot of matches. And when you go to the toilets... There aren't products there. And it can be really annoying, you know, if someone gets caught out or whatever. Um, And there's a fantastic group in Scotland called On The Ball. And what they've done, they've got loads of different, like 102 now football clubs involved. So Manchester United, I have to mention Everton because they're my husband's team. Um, Liverpool, so all the clubs are now on board. And so basically at all their toilets, at all the club matches, they're just there. So I got in touch with Shamrock Rovers and uh, they're now on board on Derry City and Drogheda. But, like, let's get everyone really? involved. Yeah. So there's now sanitary products, yeah. as we call them, yeah. in the toilets yeah. of those yeah. football clubs. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've come a long way. I didn't realise this. Meanwhile, <laughs> Deirdre, I'm going to finish with you, seeing as you're the politician in the company. What is the hold-up? Um, it's political will, I think, at the end of the day, um, to be very political about it. There's been a lot during, I think, during this government, there's been a lot of um, delaying tactics. We've seen a lot of committees and a lot of working groups um, and a lot of a bit of a, I suppose, decision, a lacking in the decision making area. I think um, I would love to see them just making a decision and spending the money on it. Um, but... It does. It has, as Claire said, it it, it wasn't uh, allowed for in the budget, and we saw another committee being set up to discuss it again, which I don't think we need. Um, and you know, I I know I take Claire's point about pilot schemes and that kind of thing. I think in it, it that's kind of a way just to edge it forward a little yeah. bit. You know, um, it can be difficult, I suppose, to make that that uh, to get people on board with with a. a this sudden, you know, change in direction or whatever. But um, I think when we've seen it working across the country so well in different local authorities and that kind of thing, I think it was, it was an ideal opportunity for the government really to to make an announcement and a commitment on it. Um, but we haven't seen it. As I said, I think in 10 years' time, it'll be a completely different story. Totally normal thing to do. Yeah. And it strikes me in the meantime that we have sound women like yourselves working away there, but maybe we need others to shout shout a bit more about it. Claire, in terms of normalising periods in everyday life, what's the one thing you would do? Um, don't lie about them. If you have your period and you're feeling a bit miserable and you're feeling a bit crampy, just just be honest and say what's wrong, you know. Um, and also if you're in a position in your workplace or that you can provide pads and tampons, provide them. Just bring them in just, just and leave them in them the and lavatory. Leave them in the, in the toilets, yeah. Just, it all helps. Little that things, it all helps. That is such a good helps. idea. Yeah. I think most people can do that, actually. Yeah. Niamh, what about you? What would be your single contribution? Now, you've made many, but just, if you're <laughs> out, you could do one. Um, I think for me, it needs to... St- um, I think teachers need to start talking about this uh, with their class uh, with their class at a lot earlier stage and more open uh, discussion. Uh, because this will just uh, start to the stigma won't then continue on years to come because we will ha- we'll ha- we will have generations of uh, children coming up and uh, young teen- uh, teenagers and young adults where they've been talking about uh, periods and menstruation 
um, since, for as long as they can remember. And then they won't, it won't be seen as a taboo subject. So I think if we can start off er, in the early stages of uh, education and continue that right up until in secondary school and even continue it at university, um, then it will just become so, it will become a normal uh, aspect of life in which it should be and which it is for 50% of the world's population. So if we start off there, I think in years to come, it'll just be so... Wouldn't that be wonderful? Deirdre, what about you? Is there one, th- I mean, you've again, you've been doing plenty, but is there one thing that you could do to push yeah, this well, on? Well, I, I definitely think, I mean, talking about it, um, I think every woman telling everybody when they have their period would be a good start, <laughs> but wear a T-shirt. Um, but I think as well, I mean, you have to look at the advertising as well. I would love to see that changed. I'd love to see some honest advertising. I'd love to see an advert tampax where there's a woman looking miserable and sitting under a duvet with a hot water bottle. And no, yeah. more, no more blue blood. And no more yeah. blue blood. Yeah. Red blood, please. Um, I think I'd like to see some honest advertising on it. Maybe a competition to design an honest ad for periods. This is all brilliant. We hope that you will go on, have the strength and stamina to pursue it and we will be shouting a bit louder about it as well. Thank you all very much indeed for coming. Thank you. Talk about your periods. (laughs) (laughs) Pleasure. And that's it for today. Thanks again to our guests today, Claire Hunt, Neve Dunn and Councillor Deirdre Kingston. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We are on Spotify, Acast and all good podcast apps. If you want to get in touch, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The Women's Podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and until next time, thanks for listening. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.